ballad Friday, cheap trip with no strangers to power ballads by the time of this mega hit, having already scored minor hits with two Rick Nielsen originals. But uh, this outside tune had the magic touch and left no doubt about Robin Zander's status as one of the great voices in rock. It was the dawn of the hair metal era. Cinderella, Poison were cracking the charts open with similar songs, but cheap trick needed a song and along came the flame as you're hearing here so apparently the flame represents the singer's love which will always burn bright the lyrics after the fire after all the rain i will be the flame although that does sound dangerous because if you can't put out a flame even with water major issues guy that would that's more yeah, like that's, a, a, yeah i don't know if i'm suffering from imposter syndrome yeah, um, I'm actually starting to enjoy your power, ba- power ballads Friday. I always hated them. Yeah, but you've played so many of them that it's slowly starting to grow on me. I think it's Stockholm syndrome, or in some small way, you've always loved them. You've, there's been a kernel of power ballad love in you, Guy Williams, from uh, time immemorial. Now uh, we have had so much feedback about marrows and what to do with them because. Anna Dean's garden is full of them in Nelson or Golden Bay. Um, but this one really jumped out. Miriam, kia ora. Kia ora. You are going to impart to not just Anna, Dean, and myself and Guy, but to the whole country a valued family recipe. Yes, I, I am. And um, I'm really feeling the burden of like generations of family before me because this is a family recipe that I'm about to share. Okay. Um, it's called calabaza, which I think might be Spanish for the word marrow or maybe gourd. And basically, you peel it, you cut it into strips, you take out the seeds, you dip it in egg, you fry it so it's like indistinguishable as a vegetable. It's like almost black, which sounds disgusting, but <coughs> actually we all love fried things. Yes. Um, and then you cook it up in tomato, and again, you almost like... it's. It's so it's like almost burnt, but it's like that delicious, like rich tomato flavour. Beautiful. Um, yeah. And the recipe, because um, my family has Greek and Spanish heritage, um, would have been cooked by like my great grandparents and their great grandparents in, in Salonica back in the day. So there you go. Calavasa. Would you? Could you do me a favour? Could you email me the recipe? And if you wouldn't mind, because people want to know about it, could I email that out to our panel listeners? Look, I'll have to check with my grandma. Yes, please. But I'm sure yes. this will be possible. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me riding roughshod over family history. Miriam, <laughs> that's, that, <laughs> that was just gorgeous. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. All right. So that's Kalavasa. Um, Anna Dean, how spoiled are you with your garden of marrows, huh? Amazing, amazing. But is that supposed to be with rice? How do you how do you eat? What do you eat that with? That was my question for, for Miriam. But hopefully, um, hopefully Miriam can tell you in the email. That's exactly right. Maybe some bread. Miriam will mm. tell me. Anyway, Listen. fantastic. Yeah, uh, you're on the panel on RNZ National. Uh, and another story here: a campaign to encourage better manners on Wellington buses was launched by public transport provider Metlink last week. The one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar Customer etiquette information campaign was due to get it underway in 2020, but due to COVID disruptions, it was put on the back burner. And we raised the issue earlier that people on Auckland buses will say goodbye to the driver as they disembark, not in Wellington. Meanwhile, constant... Sorry, thank you. Not goodbye. Meanwhile... <laughs> 
Or maybe both. M- meanwhile, constant, const- constant cancellations are meaning that people are trying to come up with other ways to school, work or weather. So with us is Darren Ponter, the Greater Wellington Chair. Kia ora, Darren. Uh, kia ora, Wallace. Tell us about the campaign. Ride like your auntie's watching, quote unquote, a campaign to encourage better manners. What was the idea behind it? Uh, well, it's, it's something that all public transport operators uh, confront. Uh, we want people to be able to uh, travel well with each other. I quite understand that we've got very crowded uh, buses and the people are frustrated at the moment. But in any uh, um, circumstances, it's just important that people are mindful of their surroundings and that they're travelling with a lot of other people and sometimes they might want to give up their seat. Um, yes. They might want to lower their voice or they might want to turn down their device. Um, it's nothing more than that. It's just a reminder of good etiquette for travelling on public tra- public, uh, public transport. Just bluntly, Darren, are Wellingtonians ruder than other cities when it comes to bus etiquette? No, they're not uh, ruder at all, I wouldn't think, uh, but they do use public transport more than any other city in the, uh, uh, in the country, and um, it's just useful to, to, to remind uh, people from time to time. I have no sense at all, Wallace, that Wellingtonians are ruder than anybody else in the country. <laughs> OK, no, fair enough. Darren, uh, Anna. I um, love riding on the bus in Wellington, and everybody does say thank you. Do right, they? They don't, say, they don't say goodbye, they definitely say thank you. I mean, I'm interested, um, was this campaign, did this campaign come about because people were stopping using the bus? And is that because they're getting on their bikes and cycling to work or commuting that way instead? Because that's what I'm really looking Yeah, look, it's a fair comment. I mean, the the campaign comes at a time when um, we have capacity problems on the network and some people are, quite rightly, moving to other uh, modes, whether that's walking, cycling or even in cars. Um, but this was proposed to come out in 2020. Mm-hmm. Turns out not such a good time to run a campaign when you've only got 7% patronage. Um, so we've held it off and uh, we're running it now. Guy Williams. People often complain about buses in New Zealand. Are they bad or are we just complainers or what's going on? Oh, look, it's a public service. And I, so I, as, a, as a consequence, I think... Uh, people say, well, but we pay our rates for this, we pay a fare for this, we expect a certain standard uh, in return, and I think that's fair dues. And um, this is one, you know, so people do complain, and uh, we have to accept those complaints. We also get some bouquets from time to time. Oh, indeed, Darren, of course. But look, I mean, this I guess this is all, um, we've got to be mindful of the fact that Wellington was touted once as one of the world's most livable cities. Um yeah. You had those sweeping changes to public transport in 2018 designed to be more efficient. You had the hubs, more services, but it became highly controversial. Did any of this stem from those changes? Um, no, not the, um, not the etiquette. Uh, no, no, not campaign. the etiquette, but the but other the, issues. But the other issues are, are all uh, firmly rooted in a labour shortage uh, which we're experiencing across the driving sector. So this is not unique to bus drivers. It's long-distance drivers, van drivers, etc. And it's also evident in the hospitality and uh, uh, in the medical, uh, in the sector, uh, hospitals, nurses, doctors, etc. We're struggling, uh, Wallace. How, just before you go, um, you're not the only, you, you certainly aren't the only uh, Christchurch, just uh, massive driver shortage, also Auckland, but how... How far 
are you down on bus drivers? And when can you give peace of mind to the bus users that we'll get back to normal soon? So we'd normally have a complement of around about 600 drivers across the Wellington uh, uh, MetLink network. We're down 125 uh, drivers uh, at the moment. We've had to suspend more than 100 uh, services. I met our first Filipino driver on the network last week. These are drivers who are being brought in uh, from overseas. There are 10 of those uh, getting orientation training. More to come. There are another... 56 in the pipeline uh, to come to uh, Wellington. So we will slowly start to see a change as those drivers come in and we can put services back. Very good. Thank you, Darren. Uh, that's Darren Ponder there from the Greater well, greater Wellington Chair there on a campaign to encourage better manners on Wellington uh, buses. Um, very, very good indeed. Uh, I refute this. It's always been thank you, driver, in Wellington. Uh, Mary in Hamilton says, I lived in Auckland for 40 years and especially as a student, used the city buses frequently. Some people, including me, like to say, thank you, driver, as we stepped off. I don't recall ever hearing anyone saying goodbye. <laughs> Fair enough, isn't it, Anna? Absolutely. I, I've never driven, uh, never been on a bus in Auckland, so I couldn't possibly comment. I might say goodbye this afternoon. Go I on. might say goodbye, driver. <laughs> See what sort of reaction I get. I wonder. Um, I made marrow parmigiana. Google zucchini parmigiana for recipe. It was a good make. You have to have some chilli sauce in there uh, as well. It's 16 to 5, the panel. We have Guy Williams and Anna Dean. Around the panel, can you recall what footwear you had when you went to school, Guy? Rugged sharks. The greatest shoes ever made. Shout out, there's nothing more rugged than a rugged shark. The best shoes in the world. Okay, the rugged shark, the best shoes in the world. Anna Dean. Roman sandals. Blue ones. Okay. Okay, blue ones for me, Charlie Browns. Uh, and there have been a lot of very cool people cruising the streets in their stylish Crocs. Uh, they aren't just for the garden. People put their Crocs on for High Street also in hospitals, don't they? And there isn't anything much cuter than a teeny tiny children's shoe, but Crocs may not be so good on small feet. Some podiatrists are a little bit concerned to discuss. We have Simon Wheeler, podiatrist and director at Active Health. Simon, kia ora. Oh, hi, guys. How are we going? Kia ora. Lovely to have um, you on, Simon. Yeah, uh, can you, you want to speak yeah. on this issue? Um, uh, do podi- I'd love to know, do podiatrists wear the shoe of the moment, Crocs? Uh, look, I can't speak for the other podiatrists, obviously, but... Um yeah, I've never worn a pair, but they are worn in my household by uh, a couple of uh, my two my two boys. Um, no mads, actually. Just to step back. What was it about nomads, Simon Wheeler, that sort of galvanised well, the nation? I, I think um, I think the the shoes there ages you. So guys, obviously younger than me. The rugged sharks were. Um, shivers. I think I was actually working when rugged, rugged sharks were, were in vogue. But I was a nomad, and uh, yeah, I, I never wore Charlie Browns or or Roman sandals. But uh, some people at school with me didn't get rugged. That's right. Nomads were the cooler version. Charlie Browns the lesser version. Look, yeah, right. Um, the dangers of to be aware of, or the safety issues, less dangerous to be mindful of when buying Crocs for small people. Yeah, I think um, I think for the very young, so um, you know, probably under under five or six, or 
or maybe even um, size-wise. So they're very young. They're quite high off the ground, the crocs, so um, you lose a bit of feeling um, your interaction with the ground because the, the, the foam underneath your foot is quite um, thick. Uh, and and then there's obviously no no support in them. They are very popular, um, but you know, particularly I, I would say probably from ages of ages of six to sixteen, and, and probably then some as well. It yeah. really depends on what you're using them for, though. Okay, um, Anna Dean, do you own a pair of Crocs and with the little wee gemstones that you can sort of tuck into them as well? Uh, what about you on this? And in terms of just Comfort and footwear overall. I yeah, I don't. I have to say, I've never worn a pair of Crocs. Um, the closest thing would probably be the soft, um, rubbery Birkenstock um, shoe. I have those. And one thing I've really noticed is, if you leave them in the sun, they start to get a bit rubbery, and you they really lose that firmness. So, is this something that's going on with the Crocs, um, Simon? Yeah. Or it's, yeah, yeah, the Crocs. The Crocs would um, would definitely heat up in the sun. The, the the Birkenstocks you're talking about, there's two pairs. One's the traditional cork one, and then the, the uh, one you're describing is made out of EVA, which is interesting. Is the same midsole of a sports shoe. Um, so, you know, that's got benefits. Uh, the, with the Birkenstock, you are a little bit closer to the ground. Um, there's a lot of support built into the Birkenstock and the arch. Um, you know, personal choice. I'm a Birkenstock wearer, so... Um, Right, you know, but but as you know, lots of people are obviously wearing the the Crocs at the moment. I think the the, the big thing for me would be what you're doing in them. So everything's got a, a its place, isn't it? And, yeah. and there's obviously some good things about Crocs, or people wouldn't wear them. I'm not sure that the fashion is is one of them, but you know, maybe huh. it's a bit, a bit old and crusty. Um, so you know, they're wide, they're easy to get on, comfy. It, Comfortable by all accounts, I've never had a pair on. But you know, I think if you think of them as jandals, ah yes, or, or, or that sort of, you know, if you if you wouldn't do it in jandals, don't do it in Crocs. Um, and you know, they're pretty easy to slide on and shoot down to the supermarket right, or yeah. or whatever. But I think the issue comes when we've got kids, you know, running around in them, um, flipping the um, strap over the back of the heel and putting them into sports mode. Uh, you might have heard of that term, exactly. That's what, that's what boys do. Um, you know, when they're running around in them and playing sport, they'd be better in, in bare feet if they're on the grass, obviously. Okay. Now, um, Guy, I've got to say, Guy, I don't think I've ever owned, in fact, I know, I've never owned a pair of jandals. I really am not a jandals person, um, but you would seem to be comfortable in either Crocs, jandals, that type of thing. Yeah, I don't wear Crocs in particular, but I think I need to um, uh, illuminate this for our older audience. Crocs are actually the height of fashion at the moment. I know that's hard to believe. They started, they were very popular. Then they went wildly out of fashion. And for about five, ten years, they were the butt of all jokes. But actually now in 2023, they're actually the height of fashion again, which is mm. quite amazing. And it's more amazing that you've been a Kiwi for all these years and you've never worn jandals. That is sacrilegious and quite remarkable. I just um, I don't know if you how you want to take that Simon, but I've I've always found um, jandals um, deeply dispiriting uh, on one level, and also deeply deeply uncomfortable. It's just a flat piece of rubber, and y y y your toe gets really tight in that little wee um, piece of piece of soft rubber. It just makes for an uncomfortable 
walk. So what do you wear in the, in the summer, Wallace? You're a, you're a slides man, are you? Um, slides. Also, um, I've always been um, socks and sneakers. Yeah. 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 Very good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, look, the, the big thing I think there's the article in the in the uh, New Zealand Herald or or somewhere I saw it recently, and and you know there has been a number of injuries overseas with the with the Crocs. And look, there's obviously clearly injuries in all footwear, but the one one thing that I've picked up is just the thickness of the sole and the losing um, the ability to kind of feel the ground. You know, so you're a bit unstable. There's no support around the heel um, with the with the open back heel. And um, you know, as I said, even if there's a time and place for rethink, and it's probably just watching the activity that one's doing in the Crocs. And the same comment would be made about slides or or jandals yeah. as well. For, you know, obviously. Great advice, Simon. Love to have you on the program, Kyoto. That's uh, Simon Wheeler there, who's a podiatrist and director uh, at Active Health. Someone says, I love my Crocs. They are spectacular as an outdoor show. I finished two days of tramping in Crocs because my boots failed. Tom, we have to have you on. I hardly, I, I can't believe you did that. Two days of tramping in Crocs. Tell me that isn't real. Um, they're great as hut shoes when tramping. Another one, says Heidi. So Crocs are used in the outdoors as well. Interesting. Uh, it's nine to five. The panel are in Z National. Well, it seems like the moon has been shining like an extra bright torch in the sky this week, particularly in the bay where I live. Gosh, I couldn't get to sleep because I thought the um, security lights were on next door. No, it was the moon. It rose over Mount Smart on Tuesday like a beacon for Harry Styles fans. What is going on? Why is it so bright? Is there a problem? To discuss, we have astronomer and Otago Museum director, Dr. Ian Griffin. Dr. Griffin, welcome. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you doing? I'm very well. Let me ask you, is the moon brighter than usual? In fact, it's not. Um, And that's really interesting uh, because, very briefly, um, as the Earth and the moon go around their common centre of gravity, um, the moon is sometimes further away from us and sometimes closer to us. So some full moons are brighter than others. Um, And when the moon's really close, it's called a supermoon, and it can be 30% brighter than when the moon is far away. However... This month's full moon, uh, which was a couple of days ago, wasn't a supermoon. So, in fact, it's one of what? the dimmer moons of the year. You're kidding me. So, so something else is going on. And I, I personally think what's going on is that the moon this time of year is still relatively low in the sky when it's, you know, highest in the sky. And you're comparing it, you're, you're looking at it directly and it's shining directly through your windows. So when, when you were looking over the bay and you saw that you thought the lights were on next door, it's probably because the moon is still relatively low in the sky and shining directly in later in as we move into winter the moon gets higher the full moon gets higher and higher in the sky in the middle of the night um which means there's a more general light so so unfortunately the moon isn't brighter at the moment, <laughs> um but it's really i think probably what's going on also is there's been a run of clear weather uh because i know that a lot of the northern part of the country has yeah. been pretty cloudy for a few months so you probably haven't seen the moon very much if you haven't seen the sun you won't have seen the moon either well, that is amazing, and that actually, now that I think of it, actually, and I can recall seeing the sun fairly horizontal, so not high in the sky. How interesting is that? Anna, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, how bright the moon is at the moment. I actually managed to catch the moon rising on Tuesday up over the beach where I live, and it was very strange. It actually almost looked orangey as it rose, and I was, I was quite stunned because it was quite an unusual colour. 
Do you know why that would be, um, mm. Dr. Griffin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the, um, that's the because the moon is passing through a really thick amount of the Earth's atmosphere. So the same reason the sun goes red when it's low in the sky. Mm. Um, the, the atmosphere scatters all the blue light out, and all you see is the red of the moon. So that's a really pretty thing. And, of course, the moon rise this time of year is just uh, at the same time as the sun sets, the full moon, uh, and that means you'll get a good chance to see it, which is really pretty. Yeah, it was stunning, actually. Isn't it? That's yeah, that's, I mean, that's the other... Moon. Yeah, just the beauty of it as well. Guy Williams. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask an embarrassing question, but I've noticed more and more Kiwis out there seem to be obsessed with the moon and the effect it has on personal health and, I don't know, like you know, physical attributes or like this, the mental health of people. Is there any truth to this or is that just the nutters that I talk to out here in Raglan? Well, I know they're a bit strange in Raglan, but... Yeah. Um, I do, personally, I'm an astronomer, so I wouldn't be able to comment on the physiological effects of moon on, on people, but I don't think it really has much of an effect. Um, and, and astrology and astronomy are two very different things. I mean, obviously, the amount of moon and the light in the sky does affect your, your feelings and how you, you, your health, um, but I don't think anybody's really studied that in any detail. Yeah. Um, so just to, to, to get it clear, uh, Dr. Griffin, so there's nothing about the luminosity itself of the moon. So when I see it and it's bright, it's nothing to do with the lumin- luminosity of it. Well, the, bright, the, the moon is reflecting sunlight. So, um, and the reason the, the moon, is when it's closer, is brighter is because it's closer and uh, we're seeing more of the sunlight reflected uh, and it's brighter in the sky. So... Um, the moon itself is very unreflective. In fact, only 10% of the sunlight that hits the lunar surface is reflected. So it's really Good quite grief. a dark surface. Yeah, no, it's incredibly dark. Um, if you have a look at a moon rock, you'll see it's you know, sort of a dark grey, blacky colour. So um, what you're seeing as a really bright thing is actually in itself actually quite dim. And the reason it's so bright is because our sun is so incredibly bright. And that's the amazing thing. Extraordinary. Dr. Griffin, thank you so much for that explanation. That's uh, Ian Griffin, who's an astronomer and Otago Museum Director. But there's something to that, isn't there, Anna, what uh, Guy said. We are, we are fascinated um, by the moon uh, in so many ways. It re- goes through cultures and religions and societies and, uh, and even up at, um, y- you know, um, Splore, where you yeah. were. You know, yeah. they, love, they, they love the moon explore, don't they? <laughs> Absolutely. It's usually on the full moon as well, yep. on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, no, moon, moon, love the moon. Got to love the moon. It's gorgeous. Yes, indeed, indeed. <laughs> G- give, us, give us more conspiracy theories. I feel like it's the new big thing. You know, like, you know, like a few, 10 years ago when people had vaccine hesitancy, it was always a little bit of a red flag. And now... People yapping on about the moon have got me really interested, I must say. Well, speaking, speaking of red flag, do you, did you, do you notice, Guy, how on the moon the flag moved? <laughs> Why was that, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started on this. Next you'll be wondering if the man actually landed on the moon and you're opening a... Next you'll be talking about 9-11. And chemtrails, with chemtrails, yes. Yeah. Uh, chemtrails. Thanks so much for your response, Sutton. Lisa says, Kia ora panel, I'm a kindergarten teacher and I agree with everything Sue Cherrington just said. I often feel the urge to shout at the radio and the panel, but in this case I wanted to shout for joy. Thank you for giving space for discussion of a very important issue to such a wonderful advocate for kids. Kindergarten is a part of the state sector, and I think the same should be true of all early childhood education. The sector as a whole is underfunded, which impacts on children as much as it does teachers. Education should cost a lot of money, but not 
for parents. For parents, I think it should be free or close to it. By the way, if you could pass on to the news team, there is uh, the, the upcoming strike is not just about pay, but uh, other issues as well. So thank you so much for all your feedback this afternoon. Overwhelming. And Anna Dean, Guy Williams, fantastic to have you on a Friday. Thank you very much. Big um, thank you also to my wonderful producer, Ayana uh, Piper Helian. I'm Wallace Chapman. Checkpoint with Lisa Owen is next. I'm back with you on Monday, 3.45. I'll see you then.